in the Anguttara Nikaya, the Buddha says, <clears throat> the mind by nature is radiant and pure. It is shining. It is because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer. This word defilement um, is a translation of the word kalesa. But there are many other words that could be used. Contaminant, obstruction, hindrance, obscuration, pollutant, taint. There are many um, words that mean similarly to uh, what kalesa means. Kalesa actually means the torments of the mind. Now, Saito Tejaniya uses the word defilement in his title of his book, and he uses it throughout his teachings. And I've used this word uh, for years, thinking that it had a really good Old Testament feel, and it really grabs your attention. Unfortunately, it really does have an Old Testament feel. <laughs> and, uh, and it has been brought to my attention that it also has some secondary meanings and some connotations to some people that it would be better not to be used. So... I'm going to start trying to use the word torment. So please bear with me. I might make it, I might not <laughs> successfully. But I think torments is a really good word because, you know, when something is tormenting us, it can be as little as just a little gnat, just kind of buzzing in the ear. It's just kind of tormenting us. Or it can be a raging, you know, emotional storm that is really tormenting us. But in either case, it really makes us suffer. So I think torment is an appropriate word for these visiting forces that enter the mind and cause us to suffer. Now, just reflect on your experience today, whatever form of suffering you have experienced. Maybe being impatient, self-judgmental, critical, maybe got irritated or frustrated, disappointed, angry, um, depressed, despairing. There's others. There's plenty. The Buddha says all of that, all of those kinds of suffering, at whatever intensity you feel it, has been brought to your attention because of some visiting force that's entered the mind. Can you believe that? <laughs> Do you believe that all the suffering that you've ever experienced is just because some force is visiting the mind? Well, we've listened to a lot of teachings of the Buddha and we've practiced to some degree, and while we can believe a lot and we can confirm a lot based on our own reflections and our own experience, giving the Buddha the benefit of the doubt, if what he says is true, then we should really want to understand what these torments are, how we should understand them, how we should work with them, and what, what the prognosis is, really, for uh, dealing with them effectively. Because the Buddhist path is ostensibly, and confirmed by many, the path to the end of suffering. What I spoke about the other night was right views. Right being the views that lead to understanding and the end of suffering. What would be the right view or the skillful way of understanding these torments of the mind? They are habitual, reactive, unconscious um, mental states that arise most often in reaction to some stimulus, and we act them out with moods, emotions, thoughts, speech, 
and actions. And they're unbelievably common and repetitive. The interesting thing about them is that they are always accompanied by some level of delusion or ignorance. Meaning you don't know or you know wrongly. Often accompanied by attachment or aversion, but not always. And the fuel for them is restlessness. They're all accompanied by restlessness. And in this context, this restlessness refers to the wandering mind. The mind that just wanders around, just picking at and kind of chewing on and reflecting on and ruminating on endlessly. And when the mind does that, without there being an awareness of it, you can be sure that it is entangling the mind in one of these torments. When delusion or ignorance is accompanied by attachment, we experience it as craving, grasping, uh, a sense of entitlement, yearning, wanting, sometimes pride, attachment to wrong view, attachment to expectation, anticipation. Some of these we don't even consider them forms of suffering. But because they take us out of the present moment and we get entangled in this ruminating mind, we're not present, we're not aware, we're not fully with ourselves. When this ignorance or delusion is accompanied by aversion, there are some very violent forms of aversion that manifest as rage, anger, hatred. But sometimes, in a more subtle way, we internalize aversion and we experience frustration, disappointment, uh, despair, depression. But sometimes it's just a, a gentle or sometimes more forceful pushing away from experience. When experience is unpleasant, we sometimes feel irritated, impatient, fearful, uh, complaining, whining, so when you hear just these kind of grosser forms of torments, it's pretty clear that they're frequent visitors to the mind. But even though they are these unskillful, suffering-causing visitors to the mind, they are so habitual and they recur so frequently that we take them for granted. In fact, we almost think of them as who and how we are. So that for those of us that have a frequent recurring habit of indulging in impatience, when a moment of impatience arises, we not only think, oh, impatience has arisen, we think, I'm always impatient. And it's just a short slide from that to, I'm an impatient person. And once we get identified with, or identify ourselves as having this, well, personality trait, it's like we are saddled with what seems to be the essence of who I am. I'm the impatient type, I'm the aversive type, I'm the greedy type, I'm you know, lost in self-pity, whatever however you identify yourself or the kind of the emotional baseline, however you identify that for yourself, overlooks the fact that these are just momentary visitors to the mind, maybe recurring visitors to the mind, but they're not in essence who and how we really are. When we get so identified with them or when we appropriate them as me, mine, or who I am, we are suffering under an unskillful way of understanding them, a wrong view. Wrong in the sense that this way of understanding these torments of the mind 
will lead to suffering for ourselves and if we act them out for others. But we should also understand that these visitors to the mind do not arise unbidden. They're not accidents. They're not adventitious. They arise lawfully due to causes and conditions. And because of that, they are a natural phenomena. They're also part of the Dharma. They're not outside of the way things are or the way things have come to be when they arise. And so because they are a conditioned phenomena, they're not who we are or how we are, but because they're conditioned, they can be known by awareness and they can be understood by insight. And in this way, we can begin to uh, work with them skillfully in our practice and eventually learn to recognize them and not get entangled in them. And in time, we can be free of them. When the Buddha says, it is because of these visitors to the mind that we suffer, how is it that we suffer? Because I'm sure you've noticed that sometimes you get in an entanglement with someone, you get irritated, you get frustrated, you get into a disagreement. And this self-righteous indignation, self-righteous anger, self-righteous self-pity, if that's what you're into, really seems like the only way to respond or the only way to react. And yet, we suffer. These torments, we should understand, they are unwholesome mental states. They're unskillful mental states. But they do have a very powerful conditioning effect on the body. Just think of how wholesome mental states condition the body when we feel happy or joyful or loving or kind and compassionate and sensitive, the body feels light, pleasant. Uh, it's, an en it's an enjoyable place to live, so to speak. It's a, it's a nice visitor to have. But when, we're, when the mind is filled with anger or frustration or rage or disappointment or feeling victimized, the body is really contracted, heavy, hot, tight, tense. And those physical sensations are born of the state of the mind. Chaitanya rupa, materiality born of the mind. So that when the mind is in an extremely uh, agitated, unwholesome state, visited by one of these torments, we can be sure that at the time we're going to be visited by or we're going to be experiencing unpleasant mental phenomena, I mean unpleasant physical phenomena, and any time we remember this incident, we'll be revisited with unpleasant physical experience. So the the suffering that we experience is not only in the moment that we visit that the mind is visited by these torments because the mind conditions the body but every time we think of it we again reactivate that constellation of mental factors reconstellating or reconditioning those unpleasant those similar unpleasant physical manifestations and the suffering is, well, endless as long as we allow or accept these visitors to the mind. Torments being always accompanied by delusion or ignorance have two characteristics. I make a distinction between delusion and ignorance. Ignorance is when we don't know at all. Now remember today when at some point during the day 
in your practice, the mind has wandered off into some train of thought during which time you didn't know anything about it. The mind was off thinking about something and you didn't realize it at the time after a minute or two or five when you find yourself back in the present moment and that train of thought is over, you can sometimes just take a quick look back and you can realize or understand, recognize everything you've just been thinking about. Even though at the time it was happening, you didn't know anything about it. Completely ignorant of that experience. We may have been suffering, caught in some unwholesome state of mind without knowing it and perpetuating this mistaken belief about our experience by this endless restless mind. This is not inconsequential. Those unconscious thoughts and conclusions and decisions and reflections condition how we think consciously and the decisions we make intuitively influenced by these unconscious ruminations. Sometimes we're not totally ignorant of what's going on in the mind, but we're still under the influence of delusion where we see what is going on, but we understand it wrongly. The nature of attachment when it enters the mind is that it blinds us from seeing the unpleasant characteristics of what we're looking at. So when attachment is or craving is present in the mind, whatever it is we see, not just with our eyes, but I mean with our mind, Whatever it is we're contacting, a person, a thing, an experience, our idea of the past, our idea of the future, whatever we see, all we can see is what's nice about it, what's pleasant about it. Cannot see, because of the blinding influence of attachment, can't see anything wrong with it. Yet if aversion enters the mind a moment later, and we look at the same phenomena, the same person, the same event, the same past experience or anticipation of the, pres- of the future, and aversion is in the mind, all we can see is the unpleasant aspect of the same thing. The magic of delusion is when, we're, when the mind is visited by attachment, we believe what we see. And when the mind is visited by aversion, we also believe what we see. Carol was speaking about this last night, how you cannot trust your perceptions when the mind is under the influence of any of these torments. Because your mind will, well, your thoughts will not tell you the truth. We could say that torments enchant the mind. They cast a spell over the mind And we live in this long-running hallucination that isn't real. I might have mentioned earlier that this practice is very disillusioning. (laughs) And usually, often, conventionally, when we say, I'm very disillusioned with you, I'm very disillusioned with this course, I'm very disillusioned with this retreat, we think, you know, it didn't live up to our expectations. But actually, disillusionment is the path to awakening. You know, if we come out of the illusions we've been living with due to these torments clouding the mind, then we begin to see things as they really are. We could say that mindful awareness is like a searchlight casting for faults in the clouds of delusion. There is a spectrum of torments. The grossest form of torments is when 
were so unaware of them, they enter the mind and we act them out. We speak and act in under the influence of these torments, causing ourselves and others because uh, suffering, because this is at the level of transgressive defilement. When we speak our anger, when we speak our fear, when we speak our desire or act on our desire, sometimes it hurts us, sometimes it hurts others. It's by undertaking the practice of the precepts, as we're doing here, where we begin to pay mindful attention to our intention before speaking and acting. So that even if you're being tormented by that little gnat that buzz in the ear, you don't just whack it. You have some awareness of your intention and you can find another way to treat that torment without causing harm. Even with a diligent and committed and continuous practice of observing mindfully the intention before speaking and acting, the mind may still be filled with obsessive thoughts influenced by one of these torments. And this is where a lot of practice takes place. We're at least calm enough or we're committed enough to not act and speak carelessly. But the mind is just inflamed with what we do want to say and do want to do that's not skillful, that would cause us or others harm. And this is the obsessive form of these torments. A lot of practice takes place here because when we develop awareness and we become familiar with our mind's behavior and misbehavior, we see it and it torments us. And yet, as much as we would like to be able to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to let that go. You can say it, but you can't let go. You know, we'd like to let go of our fear. We'd like to let go of our anger. We'd like to let go of our irritation, impatience, jealousy, envy, you know, depression. But it's not susceptible to intention. Only when we are able to train the mind through mindful awareness are we going to get a handle on the obsessive torments. And the way we've done that here on retreat is every time one of these states of mind arises, we try to be aware of it, not entangled in it, but we try to recognize that, oh, Anger has arisen, or anger is being known, fear is being known, desire is being known, rather than, I'm so angry, I'm so fearful, I'm so desirous. When we're able to recognize these mental states with awareness, we're not entangled in them. They may be present, and they may be persistent, and they may be recurring, but we're observing them. And in the observing of them, we're beginning to uh, exercise some control over the mind, some restraint over the mind, and beginning to gain some knowledge about these states of mind. Still, even though we do exercise some restraint, watching our intentions, not carelessly acting out these torments. And we can, at times, develop some momentum to the awareness that can observe the obsessing in the mind. There are times when we just lose it. <laughs> you know, we just, it gets the better of us. And the latent potential to react out of one of these unskillful states of mind arises and we get tormented obsessively and sometimes act them out.
it takes a powerful practice to exercise restraint, not act out. It takes a real commitment to the precepts to not act out these torments. It takes uh, an, a, a, let's see, a continuous commitment to developing awareness to begin to get a handle on the obsessive torments, and that's samadhi or calming the mind down, continuity of mindfulness. But it takes a more powerful and subtler uh, practice, and that is the practice of insight or vipassana, to uproot the seeds of potential from the mind. And these three practices, sila, watching the intentions before speaking and acting, mindfulness of observing momentary occurrences in the mind, and vipassana, or the insight practice that uproots latent defilements from the mind. These are the three trainings of the Buddha's Noble Eightfold Path. The Noble Eightfold Path is the path to be developed to reach the end of suffering, to reach the end of craving, the cause of suffering. And so, as we're here, undertaking the practice of mindful awareness, living according to the precepts, developing mindfulness moment to moment as best we can, and learning about the nature of these torments, every moment of that practice is walking and developing the three trainings of the Noble Eightfold Path. Now when you think about it, what else could you do that would be more effective or better in the long run for coming to the end of suffering and stabilizing in this joy, happiness, ease that we all aspire to. There's nothing you can do that's any better than that than to develop these three trainings of the Eightfold Path. So I want to speak more in more detail about how to work with these torments in the practice that we're doing here. For the most part, we're doing well enough with the precepts. We're not speaking or not acting out too much, too carelessly, to cause ourselves or others suffering. But still, I'm sure all of you have noticed suffering in the mind, obsessing with some torment that has arisen and just pestering you. The first task in working with them is to, is to have some understanding that these are, well, pain-causing states of mind. They're dangerous. We, 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 we want to be careful with them because they do cause suffering. So we need to learn to recognize them. The first step in working with any of these torments is to begin to recognize them in our own experience. Now we can hear the word fear, anxiety, depression, despair, desire, anger, impatience. We know those words. We all know what those words are. But when these states of mind arise in our own experience, we often don't recognize them. We're so caught in them, deluded, that we don't see them. Or we're so, I mean, that was ignorance. We don't see them. Or we're deluded and we think, well, I may be impatient, but I should be impatient. They're late. I mean, come on. Or we feel self-righteously angry because it shouldn't have been happening. And so we, we talk ourselves into accepting and thereby not even recognizing these torments. Or we think they're okay. We feel justified. And so the, the, the task of mindful awareness moment to moment is to recognize, to really, you know, see things as they are, to see things as they have come to be at this time, in this moment. 
there's um, a, one mental factor that arises in every moment of mindful awareness. And it's, I want to mention it because it rarely gets any airtime in Dharma talks, but it's called Ujukata. And Ujukata is called straightness of mind. It means the mind that is not spinning, the mind that is not telling you a fib, it's not trying to make you to believe something. It sees things just as they are, and you can't deny it. This quality of mind is what will show us incontrovertibly, undeniably, with no debate about it, whether what we're experiencing is causing suffering or not. We can talk ourselves out of suffering. You know, it's so common, it's so frequent, you know, it's a habit. I know other people experience it. So, well, it's not really suffering. But if you're mindfully aware and Ujjukata is well-developed, you can no longer deceive yourself. And you will see things as they really are. You will feel them as they really are. This is apparent when, in the course of our mindful awareness practice, we inevitably engage in what I call personal history review, where you know we just start scanning the past and we notice all the slights, all the hurts, all the pain, all the embarrassment, all the, all the times we did something that was not so skillful or something was done to us that caused us pain. And we see these memories, we feel them with more clarity and less confusion and less delusion and less self-biased commentary than when they actually occurred. And we look at these memories and we see that's how it really was then. It really was painful. I might have had a very heavy layer of defense against feeling and acknowledging it at the time. But mindful awareness sees through it, even now, decades later. Because mindfulness remembers things as they had come to be. No spin, no story, no delusion, no sugarcoating, just the way it was. This is what tells us over and over again where the pain is in our life, where the holding is. And because we've just not been able to see or not been able to accept that we acted that way or that these behaviors or actions were perpetrated upon us, now we see. Now we have to deal with them. There's no denying. So this recognition, this first step, of working with any of these torments is to recognize, which is only possible through the development of a pretty strong and continuous mindful awareness. Otherwise, we just keep getting lost in the same explanation, the same justification, the same avoidance, the same defense mechanisms that keep us from seeing the way things came to be or have come to be. We emphasize continuity for this very reason. We may think there's nothing happening, but if we let go of the continuity when everything is kind of, eh, you know, blasé, nothing special, you know, I can just kind of take it easy because I'm not in tormented right now. The continuity weakens, the mindfulness weakens, we don't see things as they truly are or were and we won't recognize. We'll accept the torments as, well, who I am, how I am, my personality, my personality traits, without seeing how much suffering or pain they cause us. But once we, once we begin to recognize the arising of, or the visiting of one of these torments of the mind, well, sometimes we feel ashamed, 
Sometimes we feel embarrassed. Sometimes we think it's beneath us to feel that. Or we, we just, it's hard to acknowledge sometimes that this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm experiencing. And so we try to avoid it. We get upset. We get fearful. We get you know, anxious. We deny it. We minimize it. We distract ourselves. We do anything except accept it. And so when we first recognize any of these torments of the mind, the second step is to relax. And in that relaxing, to accept, this is the way things have come to be at that time. This is not to accept that, oh, this is the way I am, but it's just to accept this is the way it is for me, for now. Because if we can't accept that, or if we don't accept, if we resist accepting, then we're going to struggle. We're going to be at odds with struggling against the way things are. And that's never going to lead to a sense of ease, peace, happiness, understanding. We're just struggling. And so, even though the torments are unpleasant and they cause pain, there has to be some acknowledgement this is the way it is right now. And in that, there is a willingness, there often comes the willingness to work with them. So it's important to recognize and to relax and accept this, this is the way it is for now. And then to exercise some restraint. The, the tendency is to sometimes just act them out. I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm going to go tell that person why I am, because now I'm really clear. I really am upset with them. Now I, I got it clear, I know why I'm upset too. And we think, I'll just write him a note. <laughs> or I'll just go talk to him. I'll speak to them. I'll tell them. And we feel a little courageous because, you know, mindful awareness gives us a little bit of courage like that. But that's acting out. And acting out these torments only strengthens them. To deny them strengthens them. To avoid them strengthens them. To minimize them strengthens them. To act them out also strengthens them. So to exercise some restraint is to is to recognize that it's, that it's not skillful to act them out. And to, um, if we feel overwhelmed, we can, we can do some antidotal practice. If you're feeling a lot of rage and anger and irritation, impatience, you can practice loving kindness. You can try. And, and maybe that'll help calm it down a little bit. At least keep you from acting it out. Or if you're feeling like, and you just find yourself blaming others for you know, the pain that you're feeling. We can, we can practice forgiveness. We can, we can do some forgiveness reflections and that may help at least control the temptation to act it out and, and blame by speaking, blame by acting. And we can, can, can contain it within ourselves. But it takes some recognition of the need to exercise restraint. Because if we act them out, we're just strengthening. We're just fueling this habit of mind. The fourth step in working with any of these torments, once they're recognized and we have accepted, relaxed and just accepted, this is the way it is for now, and we're not acting them out by exercising restraint, the fourth step is to reframe our understanding of them. These Visitors to the mind are just temporary. Now there's an interesting delusion, or I call it an unexamined assumption, that accompanies these torments. When they arise, it feels like they're going to be this way forever. You know when you get angry at someone, you, and you're, you're, really, you're, you're caught in it, you're really inflamed by it, you think, I'm always going to be angry with them. It's never going to be different. They're always going to be seen in that same way. We know that's not true. We can think that's not true. We've, we've been angry at other people and we're not now. But in the moment, 
of that indulgent identification. It feels like, subjectively seems like, this is the way it's going to be forever. And so we need to remind ourselves, this is just a visitor to the mind. Reframing our understanding. This is just a visitor to the mind. It is a pain-causing visitor to the mind. It can be known with awareness. It can be understood with insight. And we can be free of it. Maybe we can't just bat it out of the way, and maybe it's not skillful to just nuke it, you know, kind of stare it down. That's not particularly useful. But just in gently reframing our understanding, we can work with this. This is not a permanent obstacle to our path to happiness. It's an opportunity. Actually, it's an opportunity to awaken, to, to come to understand what is going on here? Why is it? How is it that the mind is getting entangled in this particular story? It's a story. It's a narrative. It's a wandering mind. It's just a, a kind of a recurring reflection that goes that we get blinded by. A hallucination, really. As Sayadaw Utejaniya says, try to recognize that these torments are simply torments. They're not your torment. Every time you identify yourself with them or reject them, you're only increasing the strength of them. The wandering mind is not a problem. Your attitude that it should not be wandering, that's the problem. The object is not really important. How you observe or view it is. Thoughts are just thoughts. Feelings are just feelings. Yogis make the mistake of expecting or hoping for good experience rather than being willing and trying to work with these torments. Did I ask you this question at the opening retreat? Opening retreat. How many of you came to this retreat expecting nine days of just chilling out, calming down, opening up, getting in touch with love and peace and space and tranquility? Yeah, so you could kind of float home and just kind of settle in? I mean, there's, there's, there's some hope for that kind of in the background at least. But how many of us actually came here knowing full well I got nine days of working with the torments? Come, bring them on. Most of us don't think of our practice like, don't think of doing retreats like that. But we, as Sadaido would as suggested, we would be more accurate in our reflection or anticipation of the retreat if we understood that we're coming to work with the defilements, with these torments with however they appear, let me have it for nine days. I want to, well, learn something about them. So we recognize, we relax and accept they have arisen in that moment. We exercise some restraint so that we're not just acting them out blindly. And we reframe our understanding. The arising of this tormenting state of mind is not an obstacle to practice. It's the very place to establish mindful awareness. It is the opportunity to develop mindful awareness where we do not yet have it. It arises because we don't have mindful awareness of this situation. We don't have an understanding of what's going on here. But once we see it, then we know this is the very place to establish awareness and understanding in a place where we don't have either one. This is how we expand. This is how we grow in our capacity of understanding, of continuity of awareness, commitment to the Dharma, benefit from the Dharma. And it is awareness, it is this mindful awareness that receives the experience. So when we say, you know, when you notice one of these torments in the mind, turn to it and receive it. Just let yourself feel what this feels like with awareness. We're not feeling it by getting lost in the feeling. That's indulging. We're not getting lost in the story about this 
state of mind, but we're actually feeling it with full awareness. Now, I'll tell you something. They're all unpleasant. They're all unpleasant. We may think, no, 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 desire is not unpleasant. Well, the object of desire is not unpleasant, but the feeling of unsatisfied desire, that's not pleasant. And so when we turn to the experience itself and feel it with full awareness, you can be sure it's going to be unpleasant. Is there anyone in this room that hasn't experienced a lot of unpleasantness today? No, of course not. We experience unpleasantness every day, a lot. And yet we still struggle to avoid it, to resist it, complain about it, minimize it, take pain medications, anything to, well, try to get rid of it, try to avoid it, try not to have it. Wouldn't, wouldn't we be better off if we just said, it's a fact, it's going to be a lot of unpleasantness today, I might as well face it willingly, bring it on. You can't avoid it. You can't. And we know that. And yet we still somehow squirm at the idea of willingly, openly accepting the experience of unpleasantness. Whether it's physically unpleasant, emotionally unpleasant, spiritually unpleasant, existentially unpleasant, socially unpleasant, psychologically unpleasant, whatever it is, we experience all of it. If we could, if we could see this deeply, understand it, believe it, our own experience, and cultivate this courage to willingly feel unpleasantness when it arises, we would learn something invaluable. But in the process of feeling this, or learning how to feel the unpleasantness of these visiting states of mind, we'll see all of the ways that we try to squirm out of it. Our blaming, our justifying, our you know, memories, our plans for the future to do things differently, all of our you know, New Year's, New Year's uh, resolutions, you know, and anything that we've tried in the past to deal with these, well, unwholesome states of mind, we'd see them all. We, we, just, we just have a whole catalog of avoidance techniques. And, you know, we won't finally accept this is the way it is until we've tried them all. It's the last thing we get to. I might as well just accept it. We should, we, we should learn and we should just start there. Save ourselves a lot of time and trouble. But we can't. You know, the mind is just not uh, amenable to that. The habits of avoidance and denial and minimizing and distracting are so powerful that we're almost condemned to kind of go through it again every time it arises. But with the continuity of mindful awareness, we will get to the point where we have the courage, we're resolved, we're just going to experience it. And then we learn about the nature of this torment. We learn what it feels like. We learn what gives rise to it. We learn how it arises. We learn how it feels, what it does to our thoughts, what it feels like in the body, how long it lasts, how it degrades and dissolves and disappears. We learn and understand, oh, this is the nature of fear. This is the nature of self-pity. This is the nature of depression. Not, this is my depression, this is my fear, this is my self-pity, but we learn the generic flavor. And in this we learn a tremendous amount of invaluable knowledge. You cannot read this in a book. You can't read how you experience self-pity in a book. You can only read it in your own experience. That's why this is a do-it-yourself job. You know, the books, the teachings, they all point the way. They offer encouragement 
instruction, advice, uh, inspiration, but you still have to do it yourself. And the do-it-yourself is find a way to willingly experience discomfort so that you can gain this knowledge. Because with mindful awareness of the nature of these tormented states of mind, we'll realize something that's invaluable. And the first thing we realize is when you're fully prepared to live with this state of mind forever, it doesn't last. It just disappears. It is as impermanent as, you know, mist on the water in the morning. You can't get rid of it with intention. You can't nuke it. But if you pay attention to it willingly, without avoidance or resistance, you will see it doesn't last anyway. Try it. It's worth, if it worth, it's worth a try. If you can get a handle on your resistance, avoidance, fear. Not only do we learn that it doesn't last, we learn that all of them are unpleasant. They're either painful in and of themselves, or they really don't offer a foundation, a stable foundation to rely on in our life. You know, some people just rely on being angry as kind of like, you know, if I can be angry enough, nobody's going to bother me. Well, that's true. You're just going to bother yourself. Or maybe it's some other, you know, it'd be just compliant. Whatever anybody wants, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Well, that's not going to work either. You'll see that it's just not satisfying. It's not, it's either painful in and of itself or it's just not stable enough to provide a foundation for your own well-being. This is a very disillusioning insight to to discover, to realize in practice. But it's also very freeing because when you realize that this defilement that we've relied on for so long to kind of protect us from pain and fear and unpleasantness of one sort or another is really the cause of it. When we see that, we can let go. We can let go of this reactive habit as a default way of dealing with challenge, suffering of one sort or another. Not only that, there's another realization to be gained from the steadiness of mindful awareness, and that is to realize that this visitor to the mind is not as ominous, it's not as ever-present, it's not as big, it's not as intractable as it might feel. It's just an appearance in the mind due to causes and conditions. And when you've observed these causes and conditions long enough to really understand this is how this state of mind arises, then you can pull the plug. Then you can just stop buying into those causes, those conditions, those reflections that entangle you, me, us, in these states of mind. You see that they're not. They're not as monolithic as they seem. You know, sometimes when we get caught in depression, a lot, a lot of us have depression or take medications for depressions, and it's like we are saddled with this, well, this just ever-present, huge, burdensome state of mind. And it feels so real. It is real. Because we don't understand it. We don't understand its nature. We don't know how it's arisen. We don't know why it's staying. We don't know how, what causes it and what conditions feed it. But mindful awareness can show you all that. And when we understand the causes and conditions that give rise to any of these torments, we, don't have to, we won't be blindsided by them. We won't be deceived by them. We won't be confused by them. 
We'll see them. We'll see the opportunity for them to arise and we won't go there because it causes suffering. It is this kind of insight knowledge that will temporarily prevent the defilement from gaining a foothold in the mind. And so the torments just aren't there. We can see the opportunity. We can see that if we were careless and weren't paying attention, they'd arise. But because we're paying attention and because we understand these are the causes and conditions, the torments stays away. In time, in time, when we've seen that enough and the, the groove in the mind is deep enough to have made that imprint after seeing it hundreds, thousands of times and not following it, in time we can learn how to uproot this from the mind. I mean uproot so that all the seeds that might sprout to give rise to this tormented state of mind are a kind of, well, I guess we'd say radiated. They're no longer effective. They're no longer viable. Those seeds, dormant. The Buddha talks about this. That in the realization of the unconditioned, seeds of these torments are rendered ineffective. And even though there might be an opportunity where they could sprout and arise, because they've been rendered ineffective, they're not a threat. This is our insurance. This is the guarantee. This is, this is the guarantee the Buddha offers. And this is the insurance we have that if we practice carefully, successfully, continuously, and arouse this insightful understanding, these realizations, we have done all we can do to lay the foundation for the uprooting of these conditions and these torments from the mind. It's possible. It happens. It's the only way to guarantee, to ensure that we won't be tortured or tormented in the future. Use the appearance of the torments as an opportunity to investigate their nature. They are natural phenomena. They are not your torment. Everyone experiences them. As long as you are aware of the torments, you're doing well. As long as you're aware of them, you're doing well. Just think of all the time you were dealing with one of these torments today. You were actually doing well. Not, don't, take, don't take it as a condemnation of your practice. Take it as, this is the opportunity to do well. In order to understand these torments, you have to watch them again and again. What can you gain from just having or expecting good experiences? If you understand the nature of the torments, they will dissolve. And once you're able to handle the torments, good experiences will naturally follow. Naturally follow. Sayadaw Tejaniya goes on to say, Always remember that it is not you who removes these torments. Wisdom does that job. And when you are continuously aware Wisdom unfolds naturally. So let's sit and let the words quiet down. Always remember that it is not you who removes these torments. Wisdom does the job. And when you are continuously aware, wisdom unfolds naturally.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.